Good morning, Foothill Church. Today's scripture is found in Exodus 9. So please stand. Oh, you're already standing. Good job. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast, throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses." Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the fields into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. 
Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of this city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. This is God's word. You may be seated. Steve Jobs, uh, you know, of Apple fame, he was once um, asked if he used market research to determine uh, which products he would sell to the public. And um, he gave a, a fairly famous answer. This is what he said. He said, some people say, give the customers what they want, but that's not my approach. I think Henry Ford said, if I'd asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. People don't know what they want until you show it to them. Uh, there's a lot of churches that, that use sort of market research to determine what people want uh, to come to service. They're a very famous example of a guy who actually started a church many, many years ago who went around to the neighborhood before he started the church and literally asked neighbors, what do you like and what don't you like about uh, kind of organized religion in the church? And people told him. And so what he did was organize the church in such a way that it gave them less of what they didn't want and more of what they did want. There is no shortage of people, let me tell you as a pastor, who will tell me what they want and what they don't want. In the last year, I have heard we need more and less talk about politics. We need more and less talk about the pandemic. We need more and less talk about mask wearing. We need more and less talk about, uh, about uh, uh, racial issues. We need more and less talk about sexual mores in the culture. I could go on and on that people are saying to me as a pastor, us as pastors, here's what I want, here's what I don't want. If you don't give me what I want, I'm out. If you give me what I want, I'll keep coming. And so what's temptation for a church? To do what Paul says to Timothy, there's coming a day when you're going to gather around yourselves these, these prophets, these pastors, these teachers that will tickle your ears and say what you want rather than what you need. Because we want to make sure people keep coming back for more. So on any given Sunday, go to a church, right? And what are you going to hear? Three ways to de-stress your life, six ways to have a better sex life, five ways to manage your children, Give us what we want. I imagine if market researchers would have been back in ancient Israel when they were in Egypt and said, what do you want? Oh, we want affordable housing. Oh, we want better wages. Oh, we want the, the, the right of self-determination. You know, we want to get out from under this wicked Pharaoh as soon as possible. And God shows up. And goes, you don't know what you want. You don't even know what you need until I show it to you. I'm going to show you what you need. This is the plagues. And God says, ultimately, what you need, hear me now, what you need, what I need more than anything. Do you understand this? More than 
anything is to know him. If you haven't picked up anything yet in the book of Exodus, hear me, over and over he's saying that they may know, that they may know, that Pharaoh may know, that Egypt may know, that Israel may know, that we may know that he's God and there's no one like him. The greatest problem in the world today is not a technological problem. It's not a racial problem. It's not an education problem. It's not an economic problem. It's not getting rid of poverty. All of those need to be dealt with. The greatest problem in the world is that we don't know God. Because every one of those things that I just mentioned would find their solution if the world knew God. And so God comes along and says, okay, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna demonstrate my power. I'm gonna give you a God maybe you didn't even know you needed. And this is what he's doing in the plagues. But he is showing up in this powerful way to say, I wanna show you what you need. You, you don't know what you need, Israel. You don't know what you need, Christian. I'm gonna show you the God that I really am. This is who you need. This is what you, you, you don't even know maybe you want. And so look, we just had Alina read this and she read about livestock dying and boils on people's bodies and hail. And by the way, do you notice, look at, look at the, the just, just look at your Bible. If you've got it in front of you, you've got an actual hard copy of a Bible. The description of the plague of hail is the longest description of all the plagues. Now, now this, is, this is interesting, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but I want you to see that, that the severity of the plagues is getting more and more and more, right? It is getting worse and worse and worse to the point that I imagine by the time we get to fiery hail raining out of heaven, Egypt is saying to itself, get us back to the good days when the Nile was blood, Get us back to the good days when we were overrun with gnats and flies and with, 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 with frogs. Because God's saying, I'm, I'm gonna uncork my power. I, I'm going to make sure that at the end of this, you know who I am. So, so this is, if you will, a study in theology. Theologians call it theology proper. Theology proper simply means this, a study of God. Who is the Lord? We can talk about theology in generic terms, of like, oh, that covers all kinds of different areas. But when we say theology proper, we're saying we need to know about God. We need to study God. God is giving them, if you will, a living illustration, living lessons on who is the Lord? Who is God? He wants to be known. And so God is speaking for himself in this passage. And what's he teaching us about himself? That's what I want to look at today. Five things. Okay, you ready? Here's the first one. God is saying this to us. I always keep my promises. 
I can't preach this whole passage, so we're going to kind of hit this in section at a time, but look down at verse, chapter 9, verse 6, or actually go, skip up to verse 5. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing and, uh, in the land, and the next day the Lord did this thing. Now you've heard that over and over again. God says it, and it happens. This will happen. It happens exactly like God says. God always delivers. God always keeps his promise. God is totally trustworthy. God is completely reliable. God never lies to us. And so when I go to scripture, I find out that God keeps his promises. From the opening of Genesis chapter one, let there be light is his word and it fulfills itself. We need to know this. Is there anything more hurtful than a broken promise? from a spouse who stood in front of God and a congregation and said, I will love you always and betrays it. To a father who told you as a young person over and over again, I promise, I promise, I promise and broke their promise to you again and again and again. To a friend who said, I'll be there for you and they're not. And God's saying, that's never me. I always keep my promises. And so we open up scripture and we find out like there are promises. It's riddled with promises. Like, like, let me just give you, I mean, just this, when I talk about, like, this is a sampling. It's like an iceberg. Nine-tenths of the iceberg is under the water, right? I'm going to give you just, I'm going to scratch the surface. He promises to give us wisdom if we ask, James 1.5. He promises to provide a way out of temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13. Do you need to know that today, young person? But today when the temptation comes to look at what you should not look, to do what you should not do, how many of us need to know God makes a way for us? There's a promise to you that it makes a way for us out of, of temptation. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13. He promises to finish the good work he began in us, Philippians 1, 6. And he promises to come back, Luke 12. I could go on and on and on. God keeps his promises. You can bank on it. He will never go back on his word. That's the first thing I think we're supposed to see here. Second of all, God's going to say, I want you to know I'm greater than all the gods. So, that fact, look down at chapter 9, verse 11, verse 10. So they took soot from the kiln, Moses threw it in the air. It became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all of Egypt. Now, I've told you before that what God is doing here, most scholars believe, is humiliating the gods of Egypt and humiliating his servants. And so, so there's these sort of um, uh, you know, parallels between the, 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 the plagues and the gods that they serve. Now understand this, that the, the Egyptians understood that there were these gods they served that were supposed to bring health and healing to physical bodies. In fact, um, in this one plague, we might say God isn't just taking down a god, God is taking down multiple gods. Like 
Amon Ra, you've heard of Amon Ra, however you say that, right? You, you've heard of this God probably in folklore. He's the creator God who is said to dissolve evil, dispel ailments, to be a physician who heals. Not this time. A god Thoth was understood to be the god of the healing arts. Imhotep was the god of medicine. Sekhmet was a lion-headed goddess who had the power to create epidemics and bring them to an end. And here's God saying, no, no, no. No, I'm the God who heals. And he utterly humiliates those magicians who stand in the place of the gods. The point, now note this, you will never hear from the magicians again. They're done. Because God is the God who heals. One of the names God gives to himself is Jehovah Rophe, which means the God who heals. He's the only one who, do you understand this? Medicine is an incredible gift. It's a common grace that God has put into our worlds. Thank you if you're a medical doctor. Thank you if you're a nurse. But hear me, medicine is a common grace, but a terrible God. It's a terrible God. Right, so what we, we are, should rightfully do is look at nurses and look at doctors and look at those in the healthcare industry and say, I thank God for you. Because ultimately, you are his hands to me. Ultimately, this couldn't happen apart from Jehovah Rophe, apart from the God who heals. And I'm that God. And I am greater than all the gods. The gods who are supposed to heal you can never heal you. See, man, we've come to a place where, where we put our faith, our hope in medicine, in technology, in a vaccine. Instead of saying, God, thank you. Thank you. You're the giver of all good gifts. You do this. He's greater than every God, Egyptian gods that we kind of think of and our modern gods that we've fashioned to serve us. The third thing I think he's saying is there's no one like me. He says it explicitly. Now look at verse 14 of chapter 9. One of the things God wants to say to us about himself, he says this, right? He said, let my people go, verse 13, for this time I will send my plagues on you, all my plagues on you yourself, on your servants and your people. Now stop there for a second. God just said this. He said, up to now, I've been holding back. Everything you've seen so far is me not uncorking my power. Here we go, Egypt. Here we go, Pharaoh. I'm gonna unleash hell on you. so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. See, according to Egyptian theology, we talked about this last week, remember we talked about this concept that Pharaoh was understood to control what was called ma'at, this equilibrium of the universe, and he, he's the one that, man, if you didn't have the Pharaoh, you had nothing. The, the, the country of Egypt would not exist if it weren't for the Pharaoh. This is how people thought. Pharaoh's the one who when Moses first went to him and said, let my people go, says the Lord. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And God says, now you know. 
And by the end of this, you heard Alina, right? You, you, by the end of this, it's, it's, I have sinned. I know this is God. This is, you know, his heart is still hard. But he's waking up to the reality of who God is. There is no one like me in all the earth. Do you hear that, Christian? No one. God is in a class by himself. Do you know this? He is unique. He is in a category of one. He doesn't have an opposite. It's not a, you know, I, I know I jokingly referred a few weeks ago to kind of this battle of the titans, the Kong versus, you know, uh, 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 Godzilla. It's not that. It's Godzilla versus an ant. There is no scenario under which Pharaoh wins. Because this is the God that is coming. He's unrivaled, unparalleled, unmatched, unequaled, incomparable. There's no, there, there aren't superlatives enough to describe who God is. And I think we need to know this maybe more than anything. I was burdened by this this week. Why are we so bored with our Christianity. Why do we take our sin so lightly? Because we don't think God is great. Because we don't say there's no one like the Lord. There is no majesty, there is no glory, right? You understand that this is the God who is beautiful beyond description like we sometimes sing, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension. He's, he's a God who we can't describe. He's a God that in Exodus you're gonna see in, 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 in I think it's chapter 33, we're gonna see he's the God that says to Moses when he says, oh God, show me your glory. Like just caught up in this moment, God, I wanna see all of you. Moses, God says, you don't understand, Moses. If I gave you a glimpse of myself, it would kill you. Like, like stop for a moment. The glory of God would kill you. I heard Paul Washer Berkeley shared a message with us yesterday talking and he was talking about when he used to live in a cabin and he, would, he said, I would, I would go out in the morning and I'd look at the mountains and, and, and I'd watch the sunrise and I'd, I'd walk back into my wife sometimes, he, say, he said, and I'd say, it literally took my breath away. He said, you know what I mean by that? It stole part of my life. If you could glimpse upon the incomparable greatness of God, you would vaporize. This is the God of the Exodus. This is the God who doesn't change. This is the God that we say that we serve. I mean, look, why do we need to know that God is so great? I, I can think of all kinds of practical reasons. Like, like right where you live reasons. If you really believed that God is great, anxiety would lose its grip on you. If you really believe that God is great, politics would cease to be your, your, your religion. 
If you really believe that God is great, you wouldn't be so bored with being a Christian. If you really believe that God is great, it would give you a proper understanding of self-worth and self-esteem. Do you hear me? The God of the universe has decided to love you. There is no greater affirmation. If you really believed that God is great, you would fight less with your children. You would fight less with your spouse. If you really believe that God is great, you would go and we would go and make disciples. If we really believe that God is great, we wouldn't be afraid of the gods of this world. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word. One word will fell him because God is great. And if you really believed God is great, it would change how you pray. I want to read something to you. Just pardon me. The Lausanne Conference is a, is a conference on evangelism that happens every 10 years. And back in the 80s, they had one. And listen to the story. In the fall of 1984, a group of pastors and leaders from the San Nicolas Rosario area of Argentina gathered to discuss and pray about spiritual warfare. The gathering was prompted by the realization that 109 towns within 100 miles of their training center had no Christian witness. They did some preliminary studies and discovered that the town of Arroyo Seco appeared to be the seat of satanic activity in the region. Years before, a well-known warlock, a sorcerer by the name of Mr. Marigildo, operated out of that town. He was so famous and his cure so dramatic that people would trek to Arroyo Seco from overseas for his services. Before he died, he evidently, evidently passed his powers on to 12 disciples. Three times a church was established in Arroyo Seco and three times it closed down in the face of severe satanic opposition. After several days of Bible study and prayer, the pastors and leaders came together in one accord and placed the entire area under spiritual authority. A few of them traveled to Arroyo Seco, positioning themselves across the street from the headquarters of Mr. Marigildo's followers. They served an eviction notice on the forces of evil. They announced to them that they were defeated and that Jesus Christ would attract many to himself now that the church was united and had pledged to proclaim him. Less than three years later, 82 of those towns had evangelical churches in them. An unverified report indicates that as of today, all of them have a church or a Christian witness. If you believe that God is great, captivity would be broken. Lauren Cunningham, some of you might know that name. He was, uh, I believe, the founder of Youth with a Mission, YWAM. He describes this experience in praying and fasting for three days with 12 co-workers in 1973. As they prayed, the Lord revealed that they should pray for the downfall of a demonic force identified to them as the Prince of Greece. The same day in New Zealand and Europe, YWAM groups received a similar word from God. All three groups obeyed and came against this principality. Within 24 hours, a political coup changed the government of Greece, bringing greater freedom for mission activity in the country. Look, 
I don't read those to freak you out. I don't read those to say, let's pray exactly like this. I read those to say, these are people who recognize God is great. There is no one like God. We are so bored. We are so listless in our Christianity because we've lost this. God is a great God. There is no one like God in all the earth. That's what God's doing. That's what God's teaching us about himself. Number four, I think God is saying, I want my name proclaimed in all the earth. Look at chapter nine and go down to verse 15. I, for now I could have struck, uh, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and I would have been cut off from the earth, he says to Pharaoh. This is him talking to Pharaoh. But he says, but for this purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, you are my instrument. The only reason you're living today is because I want my power proclaimed. I want people to see what I do in the face of wickedness. I want them to see that you are not a God and that I am. And you are a mere tool for me to use in my missionary purpose. Do you see this? The plagues have a missionary purpose. That's amazing. The plagues had the purpose of people hearing of God, right? Hearing about Israel and trembling before that God. Do, do you know this? That God means for us to tremble at his word? To tremble at who he is? To look and go, who is like the Lord? There is no God in all the earth that's like him. And by the way, this is exactly what happened. If you just skip forward to Exodus chapter 15, this is Moses praising God for them coming out and now being, you know, the, the Exodus is behind them. And, and Moses says this in that great song of Moses in Exodus 15, the peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of, Can of Canaan have melted away. All the opposition, all the enemies of God are now afraid of God because what he did in the Exodus. In Joshua chapter 9, they're still hearing about it. The Gibeonites is another foreign people. They come to Joshua, they fall down at his feet and they say, they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. First Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant of God. I mean, they think of it like, like the Nazis in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's this amulet we can yield to do all the things we want to have done for us. It doesn't happen. In fact, they get cursed and they say this. This is the Philistines talking. Woe to us for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? They don't know it's Yahweh. They, these are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. God has a missionary purpose that his name would be proclaimed and glorified in all the earth. And by the way, notice 
It's not simply a missionary purpose that says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a missionary purpose that says if you oppose God, you will receive the full measure of his wrath. He will uncork his power against his enemies. And finally, he says, I have unlimited authority over all creation. Go down to chapter 9, verse 29. He says, Pharaoh says in verse 28, plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone to the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know the earth is the Lord's. That God is over frogs and gnats and flies and boils and hail and livestock. They start, they stop at his command. God can bring order out of chaos. God can bring chaos out of order. Where did COVID come from? The hand of God. God can create and God can uncreate. Why God? Why would you bring such devastation? You know why we say that? Because we have such a high view of our own righteousness and such a low view of God's glory. The Bible says God builds up and tears down. God says, shall calamity come to a city and the Lord hasn't done it? Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign control. God sends plagues to demonstrate his power. And by the way, let, let, me, let, me, just, let me just point to something here. We might say that one of the reasons God brought his plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt is because of Pharaoh's, let's call them anti-creational sins. I don't know if you've picked up on this yet, but you notice when you open up to chapter one of, of, of Exodus, you find that Israel has fulfilled the creation mandate that God gave them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Pharaoh says, they're too many, so I'm going to kill their babies by throwing them into the Nile. What's the first plague? Blood in the Nile. What's the last plague? The killing of the firstborn. Pharaoh, you're not going to mock me. I'm not going to let you do this. How long do we think we can mock God by killing millions of babies every year? How long do we think we can mock God and hail science as our savior when God shows us it's not. How long can we mock God and trust in the economy and the stock market and say that's where our hope lies? Trust in a politician. How long can we mock God by assuming that the breath in our lungs is our divine right? This is the God of the Exodus. 
This is a God who says, I want to be known. And he's probably very different than the God you and I would have created if we were creating God, which is what we do all the time. This is a God who says, there are consequences for sin and unrighteousness. There are consequences when you go against my people. There are very real consequences and I will not hold back forever. This is the God that we didn't know we needed until he showed us himself. Do you know this God? Like, hear me. Are, are you here today and you trifle with this thing called religion? You think, you know what, it, I, I'll kind of do it at my own pace? Or do you look and go, what I, am, what I am seeing is a picture. This is not the Old Testament junior high immature God. This is the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a God who keeps his promises. This is a God who is unlike any other God. There is no one like this God in all the earth. Nothing compares to him. And he demands your allegiance to him. Have you done that? And the way that happens is through faith in Jesus Christ, right? We have, we have no ability to come out from under the wrath of God because we can never earn our way up there. We can never get to a place where I'm like, hey, I've figured out a way for God to accept me. Never. Every one of us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Without it, God's wrath is uncorked against us. With it, God's wrath was already uncorked against his son. He bore it all. And you find shelter in him. Have you done that? Have you taken shelter in Jesus Christ today? I hope so. And I want to pray to that end. Bow your heads with me. Father, we love you and we thank you. You, there is no one like you in heaven or on earth. Father, um, we have trifled with you. We, we sin because we don't see your glory. We fight because we don't see your glory. We worship other things because we think there are other gods that are comparable to you and that really will make us happy and really bring us fulfillment. God, what you're giving us here is a lesson in who you are. You're the God of all creation. There's no one like you. And Father, we, we thank you for that. We praise you that you are a good and gracious God. And you're a God who didn't leave us to ourselves. You, you didn't abandon us. Lord, why in the world you didn't just burn up all of creation when we sinned? But rather, 
than taking your wrath out on the world. You took your wrath out on your son to provide the world a means to escape that wrath. And I pray that today there would be many that would fly to you. Fly to Jesus, taking shelter under the shadow of his wings, looking to him, looking to what he did, what he accomplished on the cross in our place on our behalf. That many people would put their faith, their hope, their trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.